This is Ethios with Bemneti Meskan from ethiospodcast.com. Ethios is a podcast that chronicles the lives and accomplishments of people of Ethiopian heritage and people of Ethiopian influence around the world. It's about what they do, how they got to where they are, and what inspires them. We started with everything else, like, you know, the Click Mercato, we have Pussy Market, we have like, you know, so we wanted like, you know, an e-commerce company. So Meshkart is basically an e-commerce company like Ethiopian Amazon. My guest today is Mesfin Gitana. Mesfin is the co-founder of Meshkart, an online Ethiopian shopping site specializing in high-quality Ethiopian foods, beverages, books, movies, and clothing. Mesfin is also the president, executive director, and co-founder of Your Ethiopian Professionals, or YEP, formerly known as Young Ethiopian Professionals. YEP is a community of diverse professionals who are striving for growth, excellence, and success in their professional and social lives. Mesfin worked as a patent examiner in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office before starting Meshkart. Mesfin also served on the board of directors of Ethiopian American engineers and scientists. In response to the Horn of Africa famine in 2011, Mesfin served as head of messaging at Hornlight, a platform that helped share diverse, complex, and nuanced narratives on the Horn of Africa. Mesfin holds a bachelor. Mesfin holds a bachelor of science in electrical engineering from the University of New Orleans. While in college, Mesfin participated in multiple fellowships and published research papers in collaboration with his mentoring professors from Stanford, Purdue, the University of Illinois, and Northwestern. He also served as a math and physics mentor and tutor to high school students as well as college students in Louisiana and Virginia. Mesfin joins us today from Virginia. Mesfin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bramnet. Thanks for having me. And uh, uh, I've been listening to your podcast and I wanted to say congratulations. Uh, you're doing a great job. Um, and um, I think you found your your um, hidden talent, I guess. <laughs> it's been <laughs> awesome, calling, man. Yes. It's just yes. been good to be able to talk to people like you and hear their stories and you know, there's so much inspiration behind every person, and it's just been great to to be part of that. Yes, yeah, and uh, we're enjoying it too from awesome. uh, you know listening to it. So keep well, up the work. Make sure you comment on. I don't, I don't know why, but people are afraid to leave comments on iTunes or or even on the website. You know that it really helps yep. us because you know, A, we, we get kind of better search results on Google, but also like it keeps us going. So if anybody listening and is enjoying the show, feel free to comment. I completely agree. <laughs> so must tell us about you, man. Where were you born? Where were you raised? What's the early years of Little Mesfin like? So um, Little Mesfin is, um, um, you know, I was, I'm raised, I was raised um, in Addis, uh, so specifically around Bambi's area, or some people know that knows, knows it, uh, like Uriel, the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where um, everything began. <laughs> Wait, so, Uriel so is really well known for the hardcore, like, durias, right? Like, that's yes, like the kind of yes it is. Uh, we're known for everything. <laughs> <laughs> were you one that of those is, guys? 
Actually, no, no, no I've, I've never been those people. But you know, I know uh, they, they were my friends, so they protect me. Uh, especially like uh, when uh, I went, I went to uh, Bowley High School, which is uh, known for that as well. And uh, I, I think the fact that you're from that area, uh, you know, your friends are the one who's actually you know at the, i guess at the time we called them the gangs and <laughs> so they protect us they protect their you know people from their neighborhood so in that sense uh, you know i mean we're proud of it like you didn't have to do anything in return like <laughs> no, like pay them no, off just, <laughs> the, the fact that you just you know raised from there and you're from there it's that's good right. enough you know that's right um, so, I mean, um, I remember, um, you know, most, you know, my neighbors and we, you know, we used to play a lot of soccer, just like everybody else. And it was just a close, um, community like around that area. Um, and I think that that's, I believe that's where, um, my foundation and my values comes in, you know, obviously from, uh, from home but also from neighbors and uh, from uh, my teachers, which is, I went to school actually in um, elementary school in Azetedros. Uh, I'm not sure if you, if you're not from the Bambis area, you might not know it. It's a, uh, it was a public school, um, but it's, it was a closed community because everybody who lives in that area went to that school. Um, so we were very close and the, the school is from, uh, you know, first grade to eighth grade. So, you know, at, at some point, um, you know, you know, some people for eight years and they're like your, your brother and sisters uh, and your teachers are like your parents. I mean, they know your parents and, um, you know, it's very close. Um, and, you know, like it's really I mean, every time I remember of Ethiopia, I remember of my elementary school um, more than my high school, actually, because we're very close community. Um, and you know, that's, that's what I remember, especially like, you know, everything, like, you know, everything I remember from back home is from my elementary school uh, awesome. and from, from that neighborhood. So what was, what was it like? I, I know, you know, I went to the same school K through 12 and I just, and I'll tell you the, the regular schedule of everyday school was soccer, tarab, yes. soccer, <laughs> Tarab, like literally, that's what we looked forward to every day. And Tarab is just like dissing or making fun of each other. Is that the same? Exactly the same. <laughs> uh, probably worse than you know. <laughs> you have any early stories? You have any oh, funny things that stand out? Any stories? So I think when growing up, um, I'm very like what they call back home, like stubborn and hanya. <laughs> and uh, I was, I was, I'm known for like um, defending my turf as much as possible. And uh, I usually, you know, I'm, I'm actually, as far as I remember, I'm always the, the shortest and the smallest person in the school. So everybody start picking, you know, uh, and start like fight with me, especially people who are new to the school or new to the neighborhood. And I wasn't the kind of person who just let things go. So... Even if I can't fight them physically, I made sure that after they leave school, I waited in the outside, you know, have a couple of rocks. And, you know, I, mean, I have so many stories that <laughs> there are so many people. <laughs> the little guys are always the scrappiest, right? You know, you have to make sure that you defend yourself. And I think 
in my school actually uh, i was the first grade to eighth grade uh nobody like mess with me because they know like i'm very like even my teachers know that like i I'm, i don't so i don't start a fight or i don't go and um you know bother people as much as possible but if they pick on me or if they start a fight i'm not the kind of person who just you know they leave it alone as Wait, well i want to get into this so what is a kafalaka so you feel like as so if you're responsible for keeping the class um you know so you know actually behave um you're going to be the one who actually make sure attendance like you take attendance uh, every day um if there's no they say for whatever reason there is no teacher at the day uh, for a particular class you make sure that people are studying or not you know i guess behaving you know not you know not well to, they're behaving well so you're responsible so you're like next to a teacher you don't teach obviously but you make sure the class is running well when there is no teacher and how do they pick how do they pick a kufla like I think popularity, uh, like uh, people have to listen to you. They pick like, the crappy think, ones. Yeah, yeah <laughs> because you know nobody. Like you know what I'm saying. Like you, you have to, you have to. I guess they have to make sure that you're respected, basically. You have to be like really good in school as well. Yeah. That's not necessarily one of the requirements. Actually, it has nothing to do with the, like academic thing. It's more like um, I, I, I don't know. Like I think what, what they do is actually your classmates are the one who's gonna choose. So you know, you have to be popular in the sense that you know, people, you know, vote for you. Like you know, basically, you're the enforcer of the class. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. That's I, I have a newfound respect for you, man. It's <laughs> 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 a tough job. So, so you grew up in Addis. Did you? Did you? Uh, so you finished high school there? Yes, I have. Um, I went to, like I said, uh, Bole Senior High School. Um, before then, like, I really wanted to say, like, I really want to shout out for actually my elementary school because it's not that known, but it produced a lot of, um, you know, great, great students. Um, even before I graduated from, I guess, you know, if you call it graduation from eighth grade, um, you know, it's one of those schools that didn't have a lot. It's not like, you know, the private schools that we, you know, always known for like people know for like uh saint joseph or your school sanford or like lisa's and you know all those great schools um who doesn't have all the resources but i remember like uh, we used to compete with um uh, a lot of schools uh, in the in the country probably not this to uh get a scholarship at ics the international community school and and our our school is pretty much you know uh, the pretty much, pretty much, I could say, if I'm not mistaken, the only school I know from public school who actually, um, they he produced two students to actually get into the ICS uh, for from ninth grade to twelfth grade, and our teachers were, you know, when I think about it now, um, very young, like you know they're like in their twenties, but they were very dedicated, and um, I think a really lay the foundation for a lot of us who went to that school and i see friends that went to that school like that elementary school and still 
uh, when I went to visit Ethiopia last time, they were all in the great, great places. Is it still so, around? Is the school still open? Still, still around. Uh, actually, every time, you know, I go to Ethiopia, I make sure that I visit uh, the school. You know, it's just very dear to my heart. Um, you know, it gave us so much without, you know, without having a lot of resources um, that, you know, I guess uh, the private school has. So once you got to, once you finished high school, where did you go to for university? So I went to uh, Bole Senior High School for, um, for, you know, for my my high school. And I finished, uh, when after I finished my high school is where I actually came to the U.S. right after uh, I took the ACLC, which is the, I guess, matric, people call it matric. And, you know, that I, I, you know, that I came to the U.S. Um, after that uh, through family thing. So um, I applied here. So it's not, I, I didn't come here as a student, you know, student visa. Um, yeah. So, you know, after I came here is where I started applying for school, for colleges. And where did you come when you, where, where did you land when you first came in? My home, my first home in the U.S. is uh, Louisiana. Louisiana. Uh, yes, <laughs> and the, the big easy, you know. We're that's everywhere. You know, I'm such, it, it never ceases to surprise me that, you know, you can be in Kansas, Arkansas, like the most, you know, hidden little corner. North Dakota. Yeah, North, North Dakota. Dakota. <laughs> not that Louisiana is <laughs> yeah. hidden, but it's not really, it doesn't, it's not uh, the first place of, like, you know, where most Ethiopians come into. That's very true. That is very true. Um, I mean, a lot of us actually here know people from, you know, Washington, D.C., New York, all the big cities. But in the south, especially down south, Louisiana, uh, where, you know, very few of us actually when I was there. Now there's a lot of actually uh, Ethiopians there. Um, and did you have a lot of family there when you first came? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the only reason I went there is because of family. Yeah, it's just... But, you know, just my family and a few people uh, back then, a very limited number of Ethiopians. I think they all knew each other. Uh, <laughs> that's how small it was, you know. <laughs> um, but, I mean, uh, you know, my family, you know, lived there for a long time for whatever reason. And, um, you know, that's for me was just I didn't care when, when I didn't know about stakes like you know you come to the US then that's all that matters that's and you true. go where the family is um, family is what brought me here so you know after I came here it's like whoa where is that where is everybody like it's just my family you know what I'm saying <laughs> what, was, what was the hardest thing to adjust to when you first came oh language man that's so the um, Louisiana have its own <laughs> slack and uh, I thought I knew English like you know I used to watch a lot of American movies and you know what I'm saying like I'm, I'm give us an weird. example I mean it's pretty much everything like they have this Creole accent so I mean the only thing I used to hear was like was and ease and that but that's <laughs> it I never I couldn't hear a word they were saying and I was like, oh, my God, I'm like, I'm going to be in trouble, like, especially, you know, if I go to school. So I didn't have like the, the basic even I didn't even get a hold of the basic communications thing. It took me a while, like, you know, and then some of it is cultural, some of it is language. Like I remember one time. Um, so, they, you know, I guess I was told like uh, in the U.S., 
there's this thing about iced tea and I was like, iced tea, like why would anyone would drink a cold tea? Like, you know, <laughs> we get used to like, hot tea. So, That's a good point. So at least I knew about that. And what happened was, so I walked into this restaurant and um, I asked for a tea and they were like, so I, I, I was told that, you know, uh, you know, iced tea is what is common. So um, that's being that I'm being that, oh, I know something about U.S. And I said, hot tea. And the person for, you know, for like two minutes didn't understand what I was saying. So I was like, you know, I'm kind of advanced. I thought I was advanced because I know about hot and iced tea. And <laughs> how come he doesn't understand about hot tea? And he said, what? And I keep saying hot, like for me, it's like what, what, that's what you used to say for yeah. a long time. <laughs> and then I said, you know, the warm thing, you know, you that. <laughs> and then, you know, then she said, oh, you mean hati. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that's how you say it now. So it just clicked in my mind after that, like hot, you know, so stuff like that. And another thing is that the the food, like uh, a lot of, you know, the sandwich there, um, the, Louisiana is known for their food. They have the best food. Absolutely. And it's huge though. Like the sandwich is really, really huge. So for me, it's like I couldn't finish, you know, you know, for like, I couldn't finish the sandwich. And, you know, at one time I felt so bad, like, you know, and I said, is there a way like you can give me, you know, half of this thing? Like it was a standard, like it's not like, you know, this is not like a subway. So they yep. give you this big one. So, and she told me, this is the smallest. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of cultural thing. And, and, you know, I was still a teenager, you know, I was in my 18, I was 18. So, um, you know, there's a lot of cultural shock, you know, that came in and everything you, we know about, at least I knew about U.S. was informed through, you know, uh, you know, I know I have family members, but they don't tell you the whole story. That's true. You know, the other one is just movies and the movies is pretty much a little bit different when you actually start living. Um, so there was a lot of cultural shock. And, uh, you know, in the South, there is not a lot of people who knows about the world, especially like, at least in my experience. So. There was a lot of explanation that you have to do where you're from. People assume um, somehow you're from South America because that's what they're familiar mm, with. Um, so if you just say Ethiopia, you know, they say, where is Ethiopia? Or they assume it's somewhere next to Jamaica or something. Um, so I'm in that kind of, you know, place, like, you know, like on your confidence, like, wow, people doesn't even know where we exist, you know. And the few people that knows about Ethiopia is too extreme. Like, so some people knows it as, oh, this, you know, the cradle of humankind or this, that, that. And the other extreme is like, you know, during the famine, that's the imagination of Ethiopia they have. So I actually have another story. This is actually after I start working um, when I, so when I say, where are you from? Ethiopia, I say, you know, at, at some point I start saying not just Ethiopia, but Africa, because at least people know the continent. <laughs> when I say Africa, they're like, oh, really? So, you know, do you guys have lions and this, that? I mean, sometimes when I say this, people like, you know, don't believe me because, <laughs> you know, if it doesn't happen, like you don't think, you know, people are sophisticated enough to know. Uh, that and I, you know so she asked me that this is like in my workplace and I said and I was just 
taken by that and I said, yeah, we have lines. And I was, I was just being sarcastic. But she took it actually that, you know, she like, that was true. Like, then I just, you know, you know, went with it. See, I just... <laughs> I said, I have a lion, you know, elephant, the backyard. Actually, Just go like, with it. You know, yeah. And then I said to her, like, we live uh, actually outside. So we have to go, you know, like we have to sleep early because it gets darker, you know, stuff like that. And she was like, what? Wow. So you must be like, how? And then the, what really fascinated me was... Um, she didn't ask me like how I got here. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Or she didn't know how far it is because if you're going to use a plane, maybe, you know what I'm saying? All that stories shouldn't happen. So she said, Oh my God. And she didn't ask me like how I spoke English. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a lot of things, but she just, you know, went with the stereotype she knew and then she believed me. So that pissed me off that she believed me. Right. So what I, Next day, <laughs> I I had actually um, back then was a VHS, so I brought a VHS uh, that was recorded back home for my great great grandparent um, birthday. That was his 83 years old, you know, oh, wow. birthday. It was celebrated really well. There was a lot of family members and stuff like that. So it was a festa, like it was a big celebration. Mm-hmm. There was like, you know, whiskeys and everything. Everybody's dressed up, whatever. So I took that. And, and the, during the, you know, in the break room, I, I showed her that, you know, that was the next day. And she was so mad that, you know, like you played, <laughs> you know, you know, you should have just told me that. Why would you make? I was like, you know, I just didn't think you would believe that. Like you would say, like, you know, how did you even start saying that, you know, do you have a line like or I mean, you know, as a pet, you know, and as you know, what I'm saying I told her the only line that I saw was in the zoo, just like her, you know, then. So those kinds of stories was, um, you know, when you were, you know, 18 years old and. You know, I'm saying like uh, how you have to explain about your identity. You're actually, you know, people don't think you're sophisticated. So that is in your mind. Um, and, you know, like, so there's not, there's not a lot of Ethiopians like DC is uh, now, even back then. So you're always explaining yourself. Um, and people, even in school, people doubt your, your intelligence, you know. Mm. It's true. That's you know what, though? I, I, there's, a, there's a side of me that gets offended, but I also have to, re- like, from their side, they don't ever get a, a accurate depiction of Ethiopia or Africa as a whole. You know, the, what they see on the news, what they see on movies is just not even close to reality, similar to when we come to the States, right? We think it's, you know, Hollywood and... You know, everything is, you know, love stories and, you know, you work at nine to five and you live in a really nice place. That's just our, that's what the, the you know, media has shown us. So, you know, we have those biases too. They're just not as ignorant as theirs, I guess. You're right. And, and I completely agree. So I'm not, you know, blaming anyone or whatever. Uh, you so can blame just, them. You can definitely yeah, blame I was, them. <laughs> I was just telling you like how it feels like. Yeah, for sure. Because you, know, you don't see it from their side. You have certain expectation. You come here and you think this is the most sophisticated, you know, country, which is anything that people are, all, all the people you meet are also that sophisticated. They know about the world. So with that expectation, when you come here and, you know, you hear those kinds of stories, it's, that's, it takes you some time to get used to. But 
in, like I said, you know, there is a big nuance. And, uh, you, you know, when you understand why this is happening, you know, you become so embracing, actually. You know, That's another true. thing um, that, that happened in Louisiana is when I first came, um, you know, like I had biases, especially against African-Americans, like, you know, for, for what our community perceived them as. And um, so I went to school um, at the University of New Orleans, uh, which is predominantly a white school. Um, so there were very few African-Americans. Um, I think there is more international students than African-Americans. Uh, but when something happens, like the people who embraced me weren't the white people, like, you know, at, at the time. It was the African-Americans. Um, within, even within the misunderstanding of, you know, who I am and stuff like that, as a person, like as a human, they're the one who... Um, helped me, you know, get through like, you know, a lot of things. And I started having a lot of respect and I started understanding what they went through, especially the South. And, you know, they, you know, I have friends who took, who took me to their houses, introduced me to their families, uh, showed me their culture. I, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the, the you know, the soul food uh, for, I mean, they're very, very embracing. And once you understand that, like, it's just, you know, for me, you know, I would always have a deeper respect and completely, you know, uh, I go out, you know, always uh, argue with my, you know, my deep in friends and stuff like that. Every time they talk about African-Americans are like, you don't know what they went through and you don't know their perspective. Right. You know, so I, I have a different appreciation, you know, uh, for uh, you know, for what they went through. And they're still uh, going through it too. The the systematic oppression, the, the, the system is just rigged against their, their success. But yeah, it's, it's tough. It's very tough. And yeah. I think that house gives you a very different perspective. <laughs> I'm sure. Country, you know, I'm sure. What did you study when you went to university? So I studied electrical engineering. Um, and that's what I wanted to study even when I was in Ethiopia. I mean, really? people was me. Uh, what, my how friends. did you know that you, that's what you wanted to study? Um, so uh, when we were, when I was a kid, um, my uncle was interested in this kinds of stuff. He's very interested in, uh, you know, assembling and assembling radios. He actually messed up a lot of the radios. <laughs> 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 and that fascinated me. Like, and I, I, I'm, I guess by nature very um i wanted to know how stuff works i really want to know uh you know like behind like the, the inside story of it so even like when we used to watch tvs i always wonder where that voices come from where those images come from i used to go and look at the back you know what i'm saying like you know are there people hiding <laughs> and stuff so, so it must have driven you crazy when i bought this fight was pretending to talk to you directly yeah. out of the yeah. TV. <laughs> yeah. you know, we all listen to them when you actually get up and say, you know, with, you know, I always sit in the front because I was the smallest one. <laughs> uh, but so that sparked my interest. So um, oh, I was always interested uh, in math and physics, even in the early the early stages, even when I was in elementary school. And I was lucky to have a good teacher's. Uh, gave me a good foundation. Um, even high school, uh, I remember my physics teacher was a very, very 
um, passionate about physics. So like when he told us about gravity, he just, you know, said like, you know, he just goes ups and down, he throws his chalk, you know, like he was so into <laughs> it. So like I loved physics and that was my first exposure to physics and with the background of always interested to know how things work. So I, I didn't even, you know, where I just applied to electrical engineering. I, I knew even like, and when, when I was in high school, um, one thing I didn't tell you is, so you say, let he came and, um, so I came to the U S right before we moved to, um, to campus, like, you know, so, but when we fill out the application and where universities to go, uh, somebody told us, like, if you guys, if you really want to go to engineering school, don't put Addis Ababa University because everybody wants to go to Addis Ababa University and your your first choice might not be, you know, like, chosen. Yeah. So for those who don't know how it works, so basically the, the, the matric exam that you take in 12th grade, they use that as a placement kind of exam. And then you have to also apply into the universities and you have to rank which university you want to go to, whether it's in Jimma or Addis Ababa or whatever, and what you want to major in, right? Exactly. And then some system, some person or whatever decides whether you're actually going to study engineering and whether you're actually going to go to Addis Ababa University. Exactly. Yeah, you don't necessarily choose the major, but you have to make that that determination that if I really want engineering school, for example, at the time, into technology water water and technology was you know that was that that uh, specialty was engineering oh so you couldn't so, even pick what major you wanted to no, study not yet that was based on your first year GPA like you know the, that's when they they actually place you but I think you know systematically you have to choose a school that's known for you know what what um, subject area that you want to study so what we did was, uh, for those of us who really know that we want to go to engineering, we put our Um, you know, and we took our chance and nobody chose our So they all accepted our choices. <laughs> <laughs> and the people, like our, some of our friends who said, no, there's no way I'm going to choose our I'm going to go to like, you know, Miskilo. So they chose that. And some of them were in Bahadar, some of them were in Dila, like they were everywhere. So anyway, so what happens was, um, um, uh, you know, I, I think Arbaminch is known for having malaria. So I actually and had crocodiles, to... <laughs> a lot of <laughs> <Yes>. crocodiles. <laughs> so I didn't actually go. So, but I, you know, I took the, the injection for like the, 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 the malaria, like so that, and, and I think at that same time, the process to come to us actually, you know, was finalized for me. So I just, you know, I think two weeks before I had to go to Arbaminch is where I came. But even then, I guess the reason I brought it up was I was very, you know, I knew that I wanted to, to study engineering, specifically electrical engineering. That's awesome. So once you, you I'm assuming you graduated with an electrical engineering degree? Yes, yes what, I have. What was your first job? My first job was... Um, uh, patent and trademark office. I worked for a patent and trademark office uh, as a patent examiner. Here in D.C.? Here in D.C. And that's what brought me to D.C. was actually um, the, my first job because I really wanted to stay um, not necessarily in New Orleans. I knew that after school that I wasn't going to stay because there, were, there weren't enough engineering jobs. 
but I really wanted to be in Atlanta. Um, you know, I, I love Atlanta. I, I have families there. Um, and after, after Katrina, actually, uh, you know, my family's relocated to Atlanta. So I really, yeah. Uh, yeah. So after Katrina, yeah. So I really wanted to be, uh, you know, most of my family still live in Atlanta. So I really wanted to be there. Uh, but for some reason at the time, uh, the USPTO, uh, the US Patent Trademark Office job came in and I was kind of resistant to actually move into DC because what I used to hear about DC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny that like, what, did inside, you hear? what did you hear about DC? <laughs> so what I hear about DC is about mostly about about our, about our community. It wasn't even about the, the, the city. Like you know, uh, first of all, like about the city in general. Like when you're in the in you, if you're in the south, the house is laid back. People are chill. You know, and then there's supposedly this uh, southern hospitality. People are friendly, and what you hear about east east coast is people are reserved. Mm-hmm. They don't even say hello. They're, you know, snacks and stuff like that, and um, things are fast. Yep. You know, what I'm saying it's crazy. So, like, you're kind of oh, I don't want that pace in my life, and you know, like you you kind of say that because you know you don't even have to like once you have a bachelor degree. In Atlanta, you're set. Like you know, the living expense is very affordable. You know, you don't have to do much. Like you can have, you know, a job. You know, that, you know that pays well, and you're good. Like you don't even have to do. Like you have to. You don't have to hustle as much as you have to. It's do a this. cheap city to live in, too. Yeah. Yes, very huh. cheap. You can have a mansion for what you pay for a condominium here. Like you know. It's true. So that's one thing. The other thing about what I heard about the Ethiopian community was like. I was kind of removed. Think about it. I came in early in my early age, and by the time I graduated, um, you know, I formed my opinion. I, I was in you know in my early twenties, so I kind of became more um, adjusted to the American way of life. So when I heard about you know people here is like you know it's gonna be like back home. There's gonna be a lot of social life. It's gonna be you know like people are not productive because of that. So I was like ah I don't want to get entangled into that network so I was kind of reserved about that um, so but when the job comes I said you know like uh, the offering was good everything was like the, you know the flexibility the pay was good so uh, there was a lot of reason that that compelled me to take uh, the job how did you find out about the job it's funny how I found about the job so um, so I moved to Atlanta after graduation um, and uh, during Katrina, there was uh, a break uh, uh, because we didn't go. So the Katrina, Katrina, the Hurricane Katrina happened, I think, a semester before I was going to graduate. Mm-hmm. So I only had a semester. So there was a school interruption. We couldn't go back to school, even to the city, for two months. So we were, like, I was in Atlanta back then. So what happened was, at the time, I don't know if you remember, People who, you know, moved to different state because of the hurricane at the time, um, they could go to school in the local school to wherever state they actually were. So I went to Georgia Tech for for a month or so until our school opens. So I had, you know, access to the school, like to Georgia Tech. I had the ID, you know, I had everything else. So when I graduate, so I went back to New York and finished my school. And when I moved to Atlanta, I had access to their 
job posting, the uh, Georgia Tech job posting. Mm. So I always go there because I have an ID. I still pretend that I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. And then that day when they had this job fair, um, somebody that never, I was never checked an ID, but that day somebody checked my ID and he said, you know, you're not a student here and stuff like that. I said, you know, I, you know, I came from like, you know, an hour drive. So could, can I please, please get in? that day for that day and I'll never come back you know he looked at me and said don't ever do it and he let me in that's it's funny how life works sometimes so you could have easily said okay turn around and, and gone and home and then I probably wouldn't get the PTO job so I walked in and I was looking for uh, there was a lot of companies like Intel and when you're a electrical engineer you're looking for these high tech jobs all over the place like HP and stuff like that so the place where this USPTO were was like um, there was a booth that nobody go because I mean who knows about you know about patent and trademark office and I didn't even know they hire engineers at all so there was big this big line and this you know the high tech companies so I said you know until that line is kind of flying down let me go to the different tables and I chatted with the person who was by himself at the time in the USPTO table and I was kind of interested and he said you know if you're if you really want, you can come for interview tomorrow. And I said, sure. And I also had other interviews uh, for the next day. So actually, a PTO job was my next, my next, you know, my last interview. I didn't even prepare for it. Honestly, I was prepared for the other ones because I didn't know enough about the PTO. Mm. So when I went there, he asked me, like, he gave me a, a CD to watch. I didn't even watch that. <laughs> because I was preparing for the other jobs. Like, you know how life works in very mysterious ways. Yeah, so I was really prepared for the other ones, whatever, and I didn't get to the PTO. So so, so I remember the person who hired me at the time, uh, he asked me if I watched the DVD he gave me, and I said, honestly, I didn't, you know? Like, I was honest. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, okay, it's fine, and then he explained to me the job, and I was like, really good. And I was really, and the pay was higher than all of the job that I interviewed was for an entry level because they really wanted like engineers at the time. They were hiring 1,200 people. Yeah, so they really wanted a lot of people. So anyway, before I know it, like I got a job offer right away. So when I look at the package and stuff like that, and I was like, I was just fascinated by how everything worked. Like, you know, how the patent work, you know, once I start really digging in and I, you know, I want to give it a try. And I think, you know, maybe a lot of things happen for a reason. And I took the job offer. Wow. And what uh, was, the, what was that job like? So what, what was your title? Were you a patent officer or? Patent was examiner. Patent examiner. So you would, yes. can you explain what, what you did, what your day to day was like? Of course. Sure. So what a patent examiner is basically, for example, um, so let, let me step back and explain about intellectual property in general. So intellectual, so patent, of, patent is just a part of the bigger intellectual property, which is very interesting. So by law, Congress, the U.S. Congress said, you know, in order to, um, uh, I guess, uh, improve like innovation or uh, encourage innovation, uh, the government gives you the protection for your invention in exchange for you telling the public that what, you, what you've done. So what that does is, uh, since nothing is hidden, nothing is a secret, people could improve things. 
they don't, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know what you're doing, so I don't necessarily create the same thing you're doing because I'm going to add to it. I'm going to make improvement of it. So Congress gave the patent office, I mean, the intellectual property office that right. So there are three different kinds of intellectual property. One is what everybody knows copyright, which is for books and CDs and stuff like that. And that's in a different office than where I was working. So the other one is, uh, you know, uh, trademark, which is, you know, for like logos or names, business names, it gives protection. But patent is more on, uh, you know, invention. So if you, let's say, invent a new thing, for example, like Apple invented iPhone. So what happens is Apple files a patent application and that patent uh, application, there's drawings, there's what we call claim. So the claim basically tells you uh, what they want protection for, but they disclose everything. So they get protection for 20 years for what they disclose. So our job is, you know, they put you in different technology areas based on um, uh, need. So for example, like I was in image processing. So I, I dealt with a lot of like, um, uh, like how do you improve? Like, um, uh, you know, for example, like, so image processing in printing area. So, uh, you know, how do, how do you save, um, uh, printing cartridge, like laser cartridge, like all those invo- inventions. So for example, Canon or Lexmark or, or HP, all this, people, this is companies, uh, file for, you know, new stuff and we look at it and what we, it's like a thesis, right? Like it's like, a, um, a master thesis or dissertation. So they write it as this is, uh, the invention we had so far is this, and this invention lacks this. And our invention actually solved this particular problem that used to exist. So the claim part is that. So you take that part that what they claim is solving a gap that existed in the technology, and then you search in the database, which is the patent database has over 10 million patents. And you know, based on you know keywords, you search for you know what they claim is actually newer or improved version of what existed, or is it duplicate and and then, you know, based on that, you say, hey, you know, what you guys invented is actually known. Somebody actually did it. Some, some of the time they don't know. So you say, you know, this is not, you're not going to get that patent protection. Um, or sometimes what happened actually in most of our today job is they claim very broadly. So let's say they invent uh, a car key, but they invent, they claim the whole car. That's what usually happens. So our job is to make them narrow. Narrowed. So we just tell them, hey, you know, the car exists. So maybe if you just um, claim the key part, that you can get the patent protection. I mean, I'm, I'm making it very gotcha, gotcha. simple, but ideas to make them more narrow and actually, you know, actually get the protection for what they actually claim and broader. But the, the lawyers want to get the broader protection, though. So we have to make sure that they're not getting the, the broader protection. And what is interesting is 
if we don't do our job right as a patent examiner is where you get the patent infringement and mm. you hear this company suing each other like Samsung was uh, suing Apple uh, exactly. you know suing uh, patent actually was in the news the day for yesterday um, Samsung uh, was sued by Apple for stealing or infringing their patents and um, uh, and they had to pay certain dollars. So what happened is they had so the lower court actually decided that they had to pay everything they got from that invention. And then they reappealed the appeal and then the court said, hey, you know, it's not fair. Actually, Supreme Court said it's not fair to uh, ask them to pay the whole thing because the part they took from Apple is not everything. So we, we have to find like a portion of that. But I think it's a big deal. And what I really start, you know, noticing and understanding is the U.S. economy is based on patents and trademarks and uh, copyrights. It's very strong. And a company can go bankrupt if you infringe on somebody else's. Interesting. So if somebody has a patent question, they can reach out to you maybe? Awesome. So fast forward a little. Um, you started an awesome nonprofit organization along with two of your colleagues who I'm hoping to have on the show. This organization is called YEP or Young Ethiopian Professionals. Tell us about how you came up with the idea, you know, what transpired and kind of the early stages of, of the organization. Yes. So what transpired is, you know, you know, I kind of mentioned that I was hesitant to move to D.C., but uh, once I moved to D.C., I also didn't know, um, you know, who to hang out with. You know, I didn't have a network here. All my network is in Louisiana. You know why, I right? D.C. is a Afari city. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I heard. So what happened was, I was very careful yeah. not, not to choose where, I, you know, where I'm going to network. With. Absolutely. So what I heard is like if you, you know, what happens usually is people come in and just, you know, get in one circle and, they, and then it's very hard to get out of that circle. So I said, you know, maybe I need to choose, you know, where I hang out with. So what I first did was I really was hesitant you know, just going to my community. So I stayed with like other communities, like, you know, other African countries, like Europeans, like there are a lot of professional organizations that I used to go. Uh, so when I, when I did that, what, what hits me was like, we have to have a professional um, group for us. Like, you know, so, you know, like I, I was kind of start being very jealous of, you know, the networking um, opportunities that I see in different places that I go. So even when, and then I think this goes back to the experience I have in Louisiana that, like I said, you know, the people embraced me, like I told you was African-Americans. So I kind of learned, you know, community is very important. And in, in that early age, like I learned, like you need a community to, to stand on. It doesn't matter. You're the most brilliant person. It doesn't matter that um, you know, you have all the confidence in the world. You can't, you know, in this country, especially there's a limitation to it. You know, how far you can go by yourself. So everybody stick to their, you know, larger community. So even though I'm hesitant, 
I really wanted to a community that, you know, like vibrant and, you know, people have a choice to go to. So when I was going, you know, to different uh, professional uh, networking opportunities, um, it started hitting me like, oh, my God, you know, I need to find hours. And I was pretty sure, like, you know, it exists, right? So in the back of my mind, I started, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm sure there are like five, six different organizations for the Ethiopian community, um, and I have to look for it. So while I was doing that, I also ran into Shim, Shim Ellis, uh, to the, when I was going through this different networking opportunities, he actually, he also shows up. So we keep running to each other and we start saying hello and stuff like that. And then, you know, we became friends. We went, keep running each other so many times. And then we start talking and he has the same idea. He came from Europe. He did his master's in Europe. So he also, also had that interest in, you know, community, like, you know, he, having his own community and hanging out and having network in our community. So, you know, we start talking like, you know, the, the one conversation lead to the other. And then we start searching, researching about the history of our community and, I know there was ESAI, very vibrant ESAI, um, uh, you know, back in early 2000s and stuff like that. What is that? And what is ESAI? European Student Association. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, and a lot of people actually came out of that. And, you know, most of the entrepreneurs and stuff like that you see around D.C. came from that organization. So it was a very powerful organization. But I think what happened was... Um, after, after college, you know, it kind of died out when people to the professional environment, it, it didn't sustain them because there was nothing for the professionals basically. Right. And it still exists, you know, right. uh, in some form of shape of, but it doesn't transform into professionalism. So we dig into, you know, different organizations, but they have, we haven't seen anyone that that, that actually, you know, uh, advocate for the professionals across different interests. You know, there's some things for specific areas, but not for the professionals in general. So when we didn't have, we didn't see one, we said, you know, why don't we create one? I actually, honestly, we never thought we had to, you know, we're going to create this because we're just going to join, you know, because it's easier <laughs> to join that something exists. But it, when it didn't, we're like, we had to do that. Like, it actually surprised me that it didn't exist with the numbers we have, with the number of professionals we have, with everything else. The fact that we didn't have, you know, a professional organization, uh, very strong professional organization kind of hit, hit us, you know. So we started with like this passion, like, okay, if it didn't exist, we have to make sure that it actually is as strong and as vibrant as the other, you know, organization that uh, that we went to. So we said, hey, we want to do everything right. So we don't want to do it, you know, just because, you know, sometimes you become emotional and stuff like that. And the people we talked to who started with ASAI and other organizations, what they told us is you need a longer commitment, you need a patience, you need uh, like a mission, clear mission and vision. And after all, you need like focus, you know? So we took that to heart. And we looked at what worked and what not worked in the previous, like people who did this before. And after that, we did our own market research. We point out like, um, you know, our mission statement and then where we could be more stronger, like where the gap is. 
Um, so, you know, we wrote it. And then we started like as a grassroots, like we didn't want like 500 people at once. We said, you know, let's start with, you know, five people, 10 people, 20 people, you know? So it's like a grassroots and it's organic. The, we want to make sure that the people who come stays. And what kind of stuff were you guys doing in the early stage? So we started with Meetup because Meetup back then, it was, this was in 2010. So we started in 2010. So Meetup was the big thing at the time. And a lot of adventurous people actually and professional people used to use Meetup. So we advertised it on Meetup. Facebook wasn't a big deal at the time, honestly. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting now, you know, everything is Facebook, but back then it wasn't. So Meetup, and then we even did Craigslist because people used to advertise events on Craigslist. Um, and then, you know, the people, like people that we know, like friends, family, like very close, uh, you know, through like, you know, the, the two of us when we first started through Shim and I, like people that we know, we just, you know, force them to come and contribute and stuff like that. And, uh, so we advertise this through them, you know, people who knows someone who knows someone and then Craigslist and, uh, and meetup basically. Awesome. I love the acronym YEP because I catch myself saying that a lot. But I'm sure there's been a, a time where somebody said, where are you going? And I'm going to YEP. And I'm like, it's such a weird answer. But yes, I am going to YEP. <laughs> <laughs> YEP, I'm going to YEP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very catchy it and it, it, it's really served the purpose because, you know, like when you first – when you first start new and we are new to the, 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 the town, the, the city, nobody knew us that much. So like, you know, like when you start something, if people don't know you before, like who the hell are these people? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we did that a lot. Like yeah. who, what makes you think you could do this and stuff? Like we never <laughs> seen you before, like ever now, like you're trying to mobilize something bigger, you know? So having a brand name helps uh, in that introduction and, you know, uh, and, you know, it just, I think we chose a couple of, um, uh, three, four names and we liked this one. It was simple. Uh, and then people actually, like, like you said, we keep saying, yep, yes. So yeah. it goes with that. Who came up so with the we, name? Um, so when we first actually did this, we were four of us, uh, <laughs> it was Shim and I and, uh, Hab, uh, so it's Shim's friend and was my cousin. Salome. So it was a four of us. So we kind of brainstormed like European Professional Network, you know, European this, like we, uh, yeah. So, and we know about YAP, Young African Professionals, you know what I'm saying? Like, so we said, okay, why don't we have Young European Professionals? So it was actually, fresh, as far as I remember, Shim's friend, Hav, who we said, I think I like YAP, you know? So we're like, I think we like YAP too. So that's how, you know what I'm saying? Like, it kind of, um, I started and then and it's funny sometimes I go back and look at the notes from 2010 like when we had our first meeting and the mission we wrote and the, the, the acronyms we wrote and everything else like still like I'm passionate about that's awesome. Like, you know, that's awesome you know it, 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 can yes. you give us an idea of how many members they are now and the types of things that yep does so people can understand and also I think there's also this perception that it's only for young people because of the name so just kind of giving some clarity around that and also just talking about how active the organization is. Sure. So the organization is found was founded on November 2010. So we have been here six years. So, so far we have members across 
every profession you can imagine. Very diverse professionals. So we have, um, you know, people from government. We have people from private sector. People. We have people engineers, accountants, um, any professions that you can imagine. Um, we have about three thousand members so far. Um, a lot of them is from DC, Maryland, Virginia area. But uh, since we have a website and people are registering through the website, we have members across uh, across US. Um, and what we do, that thing that's very important is basically uh, we feel like professionals are working in big institutions. They have the skill sets, they have the expertise, they have um, the energy to change our community. So basically what we did was we create a platform that brings this energy and this knowledge and this expertise, this skill set, and do something about it. And back home, there's a saying that it takes it takes a village, right, to raise a child. Uh, there's another saying, we have all these things that we know. You know, when a community comes together, it's power. So we want to leverage that power and that number we have. So what we're doing is we want to make sure that if you are a new professional, we're just entering to the job market. We want to make sure that you have all the resources you need to be successful. So that means you might need a referral, you need a mentor, you might need um, somebody, uh, you know, helping you with a resume or interview skills, a whole lot of things that you need. So we want to make sure that you get that. If you're a seasoned professional, but want to find people who are like-minded, you know, you can come to this place and, you know, you know, you can, the, the people who we attract is definitely is going to be, you know, a new, either a new area or things you want to do. For example, you know, you're satisfied with your career, but you want to start a business. So you're probably looking for a business partner. So this is the place to find that. People who understand you, people who have the same background as you, and then people who might have the same ambitions as you. So if you're new, you, you get the resource you need. Even if you're a seasoned, you get that. If you're a student, whether you're high school or college students, uh, you know, YEP give you the platform for you to success in your education. Uh, you know, even, you know, how do you school, how do you choose school or... Um, you know, the, what kind of major should I choose? Or, you know, what's, you know, uh, and if you're looking for a mentor, you know what I'm saying? Like, we all need that mentor. So, for, yeah, so for students, uh, we have that resource available for them. And if you're new to the country and you don't know where to start, which happens to a lot of people, and a lot of people sometimes get stuck, and this is what I noticed is the success of someone in this country who's coming from Ethiopia is really, really, most of the time, determined by their first encounter in the U.S. So let's say for a lot of examples that I see is, for example, people come in here and they see a lot of people driving cab. So that would that's what most likely they're going to do. There's nothing wrong with driving cab or there's nothing wrong with any, uh, you know, job in this country. But what I'm saying is you don't know, like you don't explore other things because you're 
you know, constrained by that experience. So what YEP does is a kind of broaden that, hey, you know, this is all these opportunities for you and, you know, which one you want to do. Because this country has, you know, a massive opportunity for everyone as long as you get the right information. And what YEP does is make sure that you get the right information, whether you're a newcomer to this country, whether you're a student or whether you're, you know, a, a new graduates or you're a seasoned professional. It's like there is something for everyone. And it's all free. That's 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 what blows my mind. It's I feel like every Ethiopian in the in the DMV area should be part of this uh, association. And definitely. And that's what we wanted to do, because, you know, uh, when we first started, what we said was people are suspicious of organizations, especially nonprofits, because they don't deliver or this, that, that. So we said, hey, if we can remove the money part out of it, mm-hmm. then you know what I'm saying? It's very yeah, important. Absolutely. absolutely. It's very important. So we made sure that we use our resources for the last six years, uh, you know, as much as possible, reducing cost and delivering. Like every event that we do is free. Um, every service we give is for is, is free. Um, but I have to caution you now, like we're really growing. Now needs are growing. So, you know, something has to change. Like there's a limitation to it in how much free service you can give if you want quality. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? If you want to deliver quality service because we want to really revamp, revamp our websites so that you can get as much as, as much information as you can. We want to have an office. We want to have, you know, physical space. Uh, we want to have events in good places, you know. So all that won't come free. So down the road, we have to find, you know, resources, revenues in different shape or form, but delivering more, uh, more quality programs and, and services. I got to tell you, the, sorry, yeah, go ahead. So, sorry, as far as the name, because you asked me about the name. <laughs> so when we started the Young Ethiopian Professionals, I think um, there was a reason why we... You guys were all young. young. <laughs> we were young. And also, I think with young, we weren't necessarily meant age, we meant energy. Like with young, people are ambitious, you know. They have that drive in them. So we wanted to capture that. You know, there are some things that comes with that. And and really that captured that. Like we weren't trying to exclude anybody because like I felt like you could be, you know, 50, 60, and you, you can have like a young at heart. And we never, we never turned back anybody. So, you know what I'm saying? And then if you look at actually our team members and people who participate, uh, people who didn't uh, shy away from the name are like older people. We have older people, you know, like not necessarily classified as a young. They didn't care about that. Like, you know, they care about the mission. So we wanted to capture the energy, but we also understand that, you know, not everybody can look at it that way. So, um, you know, in the next year, uh, there might be a name change, you know. Uh, there is, I guess, at your podcast, I'm announcing something. Yes, you uh, are. It's not public it's yet. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so breaking news. <laughs> that was part one of a two-part interview with Mesfin Gitana. Please stay tuned for the second part. To find out more about my guest and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit www.ethiospodcast.com.